Hi and welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. I'm Irina Jambazova coming to you from Dublin, where we just wrapped the fourth SaaS Talk flagship conference. One of the stages we ran at the conference was the live podcast stage, where we hosted a plethora of podcasters who interviewed our speakers. The very first interview on day one was with Michael Litt, co-founder and CEO of VDR, which Alex Thuma conducted. Less than a month ago, Michael did something out of the ordinary. While many entrepreneurs start with a free software offering, then scale into launching pro and enterprise solutions, Michael did the opposite. So what happens when you flip the traditional freemium model on, on its head? What challenges did his company face in scaling this way? How did the team react? How did the market respond? Alex digs into all of these and more. When Michael is not bringing video video-based technologies to market, he serves as a general partner of Garage Capital, a seed stage fund focused on supercluster companies looking to expand their networks into Silicon Valley. I hope you enjoyed this live show with Michael. We have three more live shows that we recorded at the podcast stage. We'll be coming to you next in a few weeks. Do appreciate everybody uh, uh, sticking around. So this is the uh, the, the first uh, uh, live podcast uh, at SAS Up 19, uh, the SAS Revolution Show, and uh, our guest uh, Michael Litt, the CEO of uh, of Vidyard. Uh, so welcome, Michael. Thank you for having me. This is very very exciting. That's good. So, so tell me all about your problems. <laughs> yeah, this this could be longer than 20 minutes. Yeah. All right. I well, mean, um, uh, well, <laughs> tell tell us for those. Uh, I'm I'm sure this uh, discerning audience know who Michael Lit is, but um, uh, beyond that, obviously, as we're we're publishing this, um, you know, to uh, to the pod- uh, podcast uh, community, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are. I'm just a, a man looking at another man who loves software as a service. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, um, yeah. So uh, my name is Michael Litt. I co-founded a company called Vidyard. Uh, in 2011 uh, at a program in Silicon Valley called Y Combinator. So I've been at this for some time. Um, Vidyard, essentially, our, our mission is to help organizations succeed with video. And so whether they're using video to market to their customers um, as part of the sales process, as part of the support process, or for internal communication uh, to their team, we have software that helps them do that. I wear another hat, um, which is as the uh, one of the general partners of a small fund called Garage Capital. We are a B2B SaaS investor um, located in, in Waterloo that focuses on Waterloo, Toronto-based companies, so very much a Canadian-focused early-stage VC. We've got about $40 million under management, and uh, we've invested in about 80 companies over the past six years as well. So I've really bet my career on SaaS and still see, you know, it's crazy to, to sometimes say this given that I've been in the industry for eight years as an operator, but there is so much untapped potential in the software world. And, uh, and I think it's only evolving and getting better and um, products are becoming more useful co- to constituents. And so, um, you know, the penetration numbers are still relatively small, specifically in the enterprise. And there's huge swaths of industries that have yet to be impacted. And so I, uh, I plan to have a really awesome 150 year long career in, in SaaS. 
<laughs> Very good. Well, you don't look 149. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> um, but um, uh, actually, uh, so the SaaS Revolution show uh, predated uh, SaaS stock and in 2015, like when, it, when it first started, and uh, that year you were uh, amongst the, the, the first guests that we, we had on the podcast. Um, I'm, I'm sure we remember the conversation uh, yeah. uh, that we had then. And uh, tell, like, Give us a, a very quick sn snapshot of uh, what Vidyard looked like in 2015 to, yeah. to, to where it is now. Yeah, so 2015, we would have been about 30 people. Uh, so we're about 10x the size now, um, which has been an exciting and, and uh, very fulfilling, but also a journey full of, full of learning and mistakes, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, we had just raised our Series B, so we just took Byron Dieter and Bessemer Venture Partners on the board. Uh, Byron has been through 11 cloud slash SaaS IPOs and has been a phenomenal addition to the board. I've learned so much from him. Uh, and from a product perspective, we were very much a top-down sell into an organization, largely through the CMO, VP Digital, um, Director of Demand Gen. We had no free products. We had no bottoms-up motion. We had no kind of marketplace-driven adoption. Um, none of those channels had yet to be developed. And, and the reality is the way we developed Pipeline and, and got into businesses was by picking up the phone and calling them. And so it was a very different business back then. And uh, my God, I haven't, I always say rocket ships don't have rear view mirrors. I haven't reflected back on that time in, in quite some time. But uh, knowing what I know now, we probably would have made some, some different decisions at that I, point. I, I think I, I remember the, the conversation uh, that, you know, uh, the, fir the first year, the first couple of years, you know, as, as a founder should, you, you know, you're leading the sales charge. Yeah. And I think you said you were making 100 phone calls a day. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, so the way we developed Pipeline yeah. during YC persisted through that moment. Uh, we built a crawler that we called Nostradamus that uh, scanned the DMOZ uh, for businesses that had videos embedded on the homepage. And then it ranked them in a column on a spreadsheet or a database. And then it would look at how many videos they had across their sitemap. And then we would look at the size of that business on Crunchbase and LinkedIn, and we came away with 84,000 businesses, of which we um, grabbed four contacts per business, so VP Digital, VP Demand Gen, CMO, VP Sales. And then I would send a list of 100 of those companies to someone named Hazel in the Philippines that would do the contact research for me while I slept. And then in the morning, I'd have 400 new contacts, and I would chunk those out into 100 per day. And those 100 contacts, you know, I would probably connect with three or four of them. I'd learn from those conversations, write down some product requirements, and then the dev team would wake up at 7 p.m. and then build those requirements from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And then we'd do a handoff in the morning and I'd go and do those 100 contacts. And, and that's really the way we went to market because we were kind of new category video platform for business didn't really exist. We're solving a problem companies in some cases didn't know they had. And so the only way to kind of get off the ground was this heavy, heavy lift. And uh, that's still a big part of our culture and I think a, a huge part of our growth and success today. And, and so what we're, I guess, the, the, the crux of the, the topic we're going to discuss now, and I guess maybe it's a, li a little bit meta because we're going to talk about what you're going to talk about uh, later on today. Yes. Which is uh, something called reverse freemium, which uh, I've never heard that expression before. Yeah. Um, uh, is this something coined by Vidyard or is this actually an industry term? I think it's somewhat of an industry term. Um, the reason it's called reverse freemium is a lot of companies start with freemium and then layer on their enterprise sales motion. We realized very early on that unless we had an enterprise sales motion, we weren't going to find any success and be able to hit a, a subset of criteria to raise subsequent financing. 
And so we went up market and ran a top-down sales process in mid-market companies. So businesses with north of 1,000 employees is really where we were. We're targeting ourselves. Um, what we realized very recently was that you know, we had free product in market, and that was driving our enterprise sales process. We had a Chrome extension. Um, the same functionality as Chrome extension basically is a, a screen recorder and a webcam recorder. Once you create that video, you can send it to someone. You get a notification when they watch it. It's an animated GIF in the, in the video. People use it for sales prospecting. They use it for support. Um, one of our largest constituent use, usages is actually in schools, just in school assignments and teachers uh, communicating with their students. And um, HubSpot came along and said, hey, we want to offer a suite of video products. Can we, can we do this with you guys as well? And so they integrated our offering into their platform. So inside of Sales Hub, Service Hub, and Marketing Hub, there's video functionality that's powered by us. And, and you know, fast forward through a year, there's now 25,000 organizations using that product. And so we were like, hold on a minute. Our direct business is very much top down, but these kind of channel operated businesses are, are bottoms up and people are getting usage of the product. And I was talking to uh, Brian Halligan, CEO of HubSpot, and he, it was kind of a, a small session with about 30 people. And he said, raise your hand if you've made a software purchasing decision in the past year. And this is like CMOs, VP sales, et cetera. And nobody had. And he said, the reason why is that your organization is moving fast. And when people need to do something, they're going to go find the piece of software that lets them do that. They're not going to go through a sales process. They're not going to take two weeks to run an evaluation. They're just going to find the thing that solves the problem and do that as quickly as possible. And then if they get value out of it, they're going to talk to a friend about it. And they're going to try to use it. And then all of a sudden, you're going to have eight, nine, ten people in an organization using the product. And that creates the opportunity to have a conversation with them. And you've earned their attention because you've produced value. And so I think, you know, for us, realizing that we had this motion already in place, but in our direct efforts, we weren't utilizing it, was this, you know, completely... Um, kind of missed opportunity. And so we re-architected the product, we re-architected the team, and basically went reverse freemium, meaning we went from this traditional top-down sales process to this, this bottoms-up process, which augments the traditional top-down process. So that's why we call it reverse freemium. Lots of nuance there, which I'm sure we can get into, but uh, we launched that on September 24th, and, and honestly, you know, we should have done it a lot sooner. So September 24th, pretty, well, let's, less than a month. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. What are the, the, I guess, the, the results that you've seen in the last sort of three weeks? Yeah, for sure. So uh, first day, uh, and consistently since then, we saw about 2,500 signups for the product. Mm -hmm. These are 2,500 people that you know, had pent up demand to use either our, our basic video hosting product or our, our creation tools, our, our uh, screen capture tool, our webcam capture tool. Um, and of those kind of 2,500 signups, the activation rate meaning people that are actually creating and uploading video is really high. Um, and we're not, even, we're not even yet trying to uh, improve that process, right? It's, it's a very basic functionality that they get. Um, and from that, we have a, a, a credit card purchasing process. And so we've now had thousands of people from those 2,500 a day actually put in their credit card and buy a basic version of our product without even talking to anyone in sales. And the cool thing is that we're seeing large enterprises come in through this process and there's independent people in those companies that are all signing up. So we're, we're seeing 10, 12, 13, 14 people in a business using this product, which then gives our sales team opportunity to have a conversation and say, hey, 14 people are using this product. You know, they're, they're, they're using disparate content libraries. The sharing page that they're sending people to is a Vidyard branded page. Don't you want this to be your company branded? And there's this awesome sales motion that's been put in place. And so um, 
there's literally been tens of thousands of people that have signed up for this thing since we launched. And so what that tells me is there was, again, this, this, this huge pent-up demand that we weren't accessing through our business model. What, what was the launch plan? Like, um, so the marketing team you know, came together, we're going to launch uh, you know, our freemium sort of model. Like, what did you do to uh, you know, bring that awareness to, uh, I guess, the, the, the public? Yeah, so started off with, uh, with a quiet launch. So what we found was that there was about 1,000 people a day coming to the login page and trying to set up an account, but they couldn't do it. And there was actually kind of a bug in our system where if you went to the login page, you could create an account, but then you just got into a completely empty video account without any features enabled. And 1,000 people were doing that a day. So what we did was we started layering in some functionality that they could get access to in that process and talking to those users. So for the first month, we talked to as many of those people as possible to try to understand exactly what they were trying to solve. Then came the proper launch. And so we did a big press effort. Um, we pitched people on this reverse freemium um, message because a lot of our users in that category are going to be SaaS companies that are interested in the business model as it stood. And so we ended up getting about 35 to 40 press kind of hits and, 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 uh, and publications. And we ran a massive nurture campaign to all those free users to tell them that there was advanced functionality. Um, and then we cherry-picked a few accounts where we knew we had expansion opportunities um, with individual users to say, hey, this is now functionality that you can get access to without talking to anybody on our team. Um, so it was a very kind of distributed approach, um, but it's very much product-led. And I think this is an important distinction from the way we used to do things. Marketing is, is definitely the tip of the spear, but marketing gets to choose what features and functionalities are ultimately included in that free version. And that gives them accountability to the end user and the customer in a way that they traditionally haven't had at Vidyard. And we come from Y Combinator where the, the mentality is build something people want and now that persists throughout the organization. So it's made us a much more customer focused organization in the process. What were the challenges that you've had, or I, I guess maybe you know, in the run up uh, and also like uh, post launch? Yeah, for sure. I don't know if this is my water. Someone's drank, yeah, someone's that, drank out of it. That, that was mine. <laughs> it's, like, it's like my grade school. It's, it's like, always check to see if the cap has been removed. It's all right. You said there was a lot of love, but you won't drink my water. I mean, like, I'm a little bit hurt, but it's fine. It's all, hey, man, it's all good. Um, you'll tuck me in in my single bed later. Um, so, uh, yes, challenges to launch. One is we, we had um, a very complex product architecture where we had our enterprise stack of technology and then we had all of our free kind of bottoms of products. The reason that existed is we tried to launch this as quickly as possible without getting distracted by what was happening over here. As soon as you start to merge these technology stacks, all sorts of kind of mothballs and, and hair come out of, of, of the architecture of the product. And so we went on a one-year effort to merge the product experiences. Uh, we called it Whopper internally. This is a, a throwback to an 80s movie it ended up being called the New Vidyard Experience, but through this process, what we did was we took the engineering team, which was traditionally very focused on the quality of the code base, and made them focused on the end user experience. And for an engineer, that's a very uncomfortable process, right? Because some engineers like to pop what we call polishing the turd, right? They've got their code base and they're polishing it continuously, making it better and faster, and that's what they're held accountable to. Now we're saying, no, 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 now you're accountable to a customer experience. So that's a painful transition, and, and I cannot communicate enough how painful that is to some engineers, because again, code quality versus accountability to customers is a very different cultural experience. So what we did was we took the engineering teams, which used to be focused on products and services and APIs, and made them focused on the customer funnel. 
So there's a product manager and a designer and then an engineering team that focuses on free. Same thing goes for pro, same thing goes for business, same thing goes for enterprise. And what they're doing is they're sharing the product architecture, but they're, f- they're focusing on features that benefit customers in those tiers and then try to determine what can be shared across those tiers. That transition was, was super painful. Another one was getting our marketing team not necessarily just thinking about uh, marketing qualified leads and sales qualified leads, but thinking about product qualified leads and not just thinking about how we're transitioning someone through the funnel from a webinar to a hand raise and into the sales process, but how we're actually thinking about traffic as a whole and how we're thinking about SEO. Um, When we started this process, we looked at our website and said, are we SEO ready? Like, are we showing up in search? If we want to be the best alternative to YouTube for hosting video for business, we have to be very optimized from SEO because that's a status quo. And there was 26,000 issues from an SEO perspective on our website that we had to start chipping away at. So this was a year-long process that getting the organizational shift and getting the team on side with this transition, which I felt we absolutely needed to do at risk of failing downstream, was a monumental effort. And the reason, again, I feel like this is a monumental effort is because there's 7,000 companies in the MarTech landscape all saying the same thing. And when we started, there was 150. All 7,000 of those companies say we're going to help you generate more pipeline, we're going to help reduce the time frame of your sales cycle, yada, 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 right? In that world where MarTech is completely commoditized, the best product and the best experience is going to win long term. And so that's the, the bet we made in transitioning this top-down enterprise sales-focused business into a bottoms-up growth business was uh, a monumental effort. And uh, I, I don't think it should be taken lightly, but I think it's the way that we're going to win in the future. It's the way all companies in this space are going to win in the future. So, some final sort of bits of advice. So for, for those that are, uh, are thinking about going freemium, <coughs> when should they do it? Like, why should they do it? Like, when, you know, when, when should they be ready for it? And what are you, your, I guess, kind of the three like, key learnings uh, around moving to a, a freemium model uh, to, to share with the audience? Yeah, that's a great question. So I don't know. The, the answer to the when is, is difficult, right? Because if we had been freemium from the very beginning of time, nobody would have signed up because we didn't have any eyeballs. We didn't have any content. You know, we weren't at events. We didn't have any money to spend to try to drive people to the website. Um, and so, and if there isn't any, any virality inherently baked into what you do, it's very difficult to grow that base. Now, our Chrome extension and our creation products have virality built in, right? When you get a video from a user of the Chrome extension, for instance, it's in a Vidyard branded sharing page that encourages you to try the product as well. And so that has some K factor and virality. So I think you need to think about, is there inherent virality in what you're doing? Um, do you have a long enough uh, runway in terms of cash and bank to truly exercise the strategy? Um, the other thing I'd say is every company technically starts as free because people aren't going to spend $200,000 on your software out of the gate. You're looking for people that are going to give you feedback in time and energy versus money, right? This is a classic Vidyard story. I'll probably mention it later today, but for this very intimate audience, our very first customer was somebody named Donna, and, and I was obsessed with how she was using the product and the value she was getting out of it. She wasn't paying us any money, but she was willing to tell us all the issues she had, and she was willing to get on a weekly call with me, and we would take all the things that Donna told us to do and write them on a list and solve those problems, and I would re-engage with her, and we felt like if we were solving that problem for her, we were gonna be solving it for thousands of people over time, and I got so obsessed with Donna in this process that I ended up marrying her, 
Uh, that was five years ago. Um, it's a customer success strategy that doesn't scale very well, obviously, over time. Um, but that's how seriously we took it, right? So we did technically start as freemium, but now as an activated business model that has access to thousands of new users a day, um, we're just a more mature organization. We're ready for it. So I don't know if there's an easy answer for when, um, but I think if you feel pent-up demand and if you have a status quo competitor that is free, you really don't have a choice. Because again, um, people are the ones that are going to be using your technologies. Companies are the ones that are going to be paying for it, right? People buy, companies pay. And in this fast-paced world where everybody needs to get shit done immediately, the free product is always going to be the one that gets used first. And that is much more valuable than a hand raise from an MQL or an MQI perspective. So to the point of th the three learnings, um, you know, one I think is, is, is consider this um, you know, very, very, very strongly in your long-term go-to-market strategy. Um, especially if you're in a highly competitive space like the MarTech landscape, um, where over time, everything you do is gonna be commoditized because the barrier to entry to start a software company is very, is very low. And in that world, the best product experience that produces the most value is gonna win, hands down. Um, number two is consider aligning your engineering and product teams to the customer funnel and hold them accountable to the customer experience Hold them accountable to the monthly active usage numbers, the drop-off numbers, the churn rates, all those valuable SaaS metrics, because that's how your company truly aligns to the customer, which gets me to point three, is think about your stakeholders and, and who you're putting first. I mean, we, we traditionally put the team before the customer, and in this process we realized we had to put the customer first because they're a primary stakeholder. Unless they're successful, we aren't successful. And that subtle mind shift gave us permission to get the whole team engaged in this process of making that technology more available to the world and thinking about how it was producing value and thinking about how it produced value in the shortest time frame possible, which is a very different way of thinking about our, our, our go-to-market strategy. I think those three things were fundamental to the success of this launch. And you know, obviously, it's beaten expectations. And now it gives us an amazing platform for playing with pricing tiers and the functionality we provide, and also allows us to kind of undercut our competition and step into arena with Vimeo and YouTube where we never would have been before, right? And, and stepping into that arena with YouTube all of a sudden elevates your business into this, this whole realm of, of impact that we would have never otherwise seen. And, and all of a sudden overnight, we've gone to streaming 50 million videos a day. Right, and uh, these are large numbers and, and big impact, and, uh, and it's super exciting. So, we um, we always end the podcast with asking, I guess, how they stay healthy and sane. Uh, I'm I'm sure you're you're sane, right? <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, tell us what like what what is, what is your way? My way of staying healthy and sane. Yeah. Um, recently, I've started to try to get eight hours of sleep a night. Uh, how that's much were you been getting remarkable, before? Probably like four to five on average. Okay. Um, Out of choice, or you just you just couldn't. I uh, just just like I was just always going, like just feeding on the adrenaline of everything going on, and and you know wearing these two hats, and just you know money never sleeps, right? <laughs> um, but it should, and you're better <laughs> off for it. Another one has been um, this is like such a Silicon Valley thing, but intermittent fasting and managing my weight a little better. Um, the amount of energy you get when you're in your ideal weight range versus being slightly overweight is remarkable. 
and everybody talked about it, like, drink two liters of water a day and eat salads instead of steaks, and I was always like, bullshit, and then tried it for a month and never looked back. Um, the last one is my wife and I, um, uh, Donna. Donna, yeah. yes, <laughs> yeah, our first customer. Um, and uh, we, we bought a, a little property outside of town where we live, um, and we just go out there and, and uh, collect rare rocks from the beach. And she tumbles rocks, which is a four-week-long process of polishing basically rocks and, and fossils. And, and I cut down trees. And uh, I think getting back to basics and working with my hands is, gives me an opportunity to really kind of think about everything going on in the industry and everything going on in digital, far removed from it. Like, we, we barely have internet access to this location. And that's just been a, a completely rejuvenating, rewarding experience. So I think everybody rejuvenates in, in different ways. But I think the most important thing I've learned is this is a marathon, not a sprint. And even at conferences like this, you know, um, take it as it comes and try to have fun before taking yourself too seriously. And that's how opportunities open up for you. Sasnock is also a marathon, not a sprint as well. So um, that's, yeah. uh, that's good advice. So, Michael Litt, hey man. thanks Thank for being you a so great much. guest. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah, you're, you're speaking uh, on the scale stage, I think, yeah. later and back on the podcast stage a few more times. So thanks very much, Michael Litt, CEO video. Thanks for joining in. Cheers, everybody. Hope you've enjoyed this live show with Michael. We have three more live shows that we recorded at the podcast stage, which we'll be publishing in the next few weeks on this podcast. Hope you've enjoyed this live recording with Michael Lid and learned powerful lessons from his experience. Thanks for listening. See you next time.